Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien. Hello and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I'm your co-host, John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association, coming to you from the Quandel Studio right here in Dillsburg, Pennsylvania, home of the Pickle Drop. We drop the pickle every New Year's Eve. Chris, what do you think about that? I'm joined, as always, by fellow co-host, Chris Martin. So, Chris, what's going on? I have heard about the pickle drop for years, and I have to admit I've never been to Dillsburg for the pickle drop. It is one of – it's on my bucket list, and it might be able to because I have a good friend that lives there. Maybe you've heard of him, John (laughs) O'Brien. So I might be able to make it, my man. I could could do it now. I have my in. I have my in, but – well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Building PA Podcast. And I am Chris Martin, as John mentioned. I am with Atlas Marketing. And today's episode, and I'm just going to drop this in here, John, and then we'll get back to it. Yeah. This is part of the Building PA Podcast's ongoing monthly focus on mental health and wellness and suicide prevention. So, I kinda, John, I hate to say this. I kind of took your thunder away, and I apologize. You got me a little real excited about the pickle drop. So I, I, just, I was like, I got to do it. I got to do it. What are we talking about this? Well, we'll keep the excitement going because this is a big, serious uh, topic that's uh, really yes. plaguing our industry and um, something that needs to be talked about, you know, mental health and suicide prevention. It's, uh, you know, it sucks that it's such serious, but uh, but it is. But today we're honored and excited to have Rich Jones from U-Turn Health. Rich, welcome to the show. How are we doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. This is awesome. Glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah, yes, thanks sir. for joining yeah. Earlier this month, uh, the KCA held a Zoom event and Rich was our guest speaker to help kick off Suicide Prevention Month in the industry and did an awesome job. And and one of the uh, attendees contacted me afterwards and said, Rich was the ideal person to help kick this off for the KCA. I mean, he has all the, the education, the credentials. He knows what he's talking about. He knows the facts, but he also has a real life experiences that that really put them over the top and, you know, make them a credible, excellent, informative person. For those that didn't attend earlier this month and those that might not know you, like, who is Rich Jones? You want to introduce yourself? Yeah. So, well, first, I'm a father, a husband, a son, a brother. And like, so that's kind of who I am in my real life. On a professional level, I uh, therapist, licensed counselor, EMDR trauma therapist. I have all these credentials. I'm one of those guys that have all these letters after his name because in my field, you have to get all these badges to be able to work in certain places. And so I just did that and went and got whatever credential I needed to get. So been working in the behavioral health field in some capacity for nearly 22 years. I always share like more important to that. And, and this is really how I feel. This is just honestly, I, I value my academic background. I'm glad I have that, that training, everything about that is important. But I'm also a person in long-term recovery myself. In 1999, I'm from Pittsburgh. In 1999, it was you know right kind of at the beginning of the opioid epidemic. I always jokingly say I was an early adopter of the opioid epidemic. I got in a car accident, wound up in an emergency department. Quite frankly, it wasn't that bad. I walked out of that situation. The car was totaled, but I made it out pretty unscathed. But I had a documented neck injury. And you guys probably know where I'm going with this. That first day in the emergency room, guys, I walked out of there with 120 Darvacet. The very first exposure to any kind of pain pills. This was right at the beginning of and all the doctors were being told, don't let people feel pain. And what happened for me, man, is I went on a two-year odyssey that's 
somewhat difficult to explain. I never bought pills from the street. I didn't know how to buy pills from the street. I was probably, I had an alcohol use disorder. Certainly I was drinking too much, but I, I was doing okay. And then these things came into my life and just ripped me apart, ripped my family apart. And what was wild was, you know, no one really noticed what was going on with me. In a classic way, I was able to tighten it up and go to work. I would put on a show at work and I would come home. And the only people that really knew what was happening with me was maybe my wife. And I don't even think my kids knew, maybe my mom, that kind of thing. And it just got progressively worse. And then one day I come home and, and I'll give you guys a heads up. If you ever walk in your house and there are eight people sitting in a circle and there's a stranger there, that is not actually grandma's birthday party. That's called an intervention. And so that that happened to me. In hindsight, I'm grateful that it happened to me. I, I went off to rehab without, you know, really without a fight. I didn't really want to get better, though. I will say that. I just wanted to get the heat off. But when I got there, what happened was I started to experience these internal changes. I started to realize there was a new way to live. And I, I also started to get angry that I didn't know this stuff earlier. Like, why, did, why wasn't, didn't anyone say anything to me? Now, when I got out of rehab, what happened, I, I, I could have gone back to my regular job. I could have gone back to being a salesperson, you know, working in HR, that kind of thing. But I didn't, I didn't think that that would be the right way to go for my sobriety. It, it just didn't support that type of lifestyle. So I went back to school, became a therapist. And that's where my career began. And I've been doing it for about 22 years. Almost the whole time I've been in recovery, I've been working in the field. And it was wild, man. Like, I didn't even tell people I was in recovery. I was just like, I was working for UPMC. And I went to my boss and I said, like, can I work in the behavioral health department? Can I get transferred over and, and work with uh, people with mental health and substance use issues? And he was like, why would you want to do that? Like, why would you even like consider that? And I wouldn't tell him. I would not tell him this was 22 years ago when the stigma was even stronger. After my career and began my journey, you know, working in rehabs, working in community mental health, EAP provider, that kind of thing. And in the last nine years, I've been focused on what are called peer support services. I believe the solution to the epidemic and the solution to our mental health crisis is going to be uh, found in peer-to-peer -peer conversations and human beings supporting other human beings and not so much about clinical services. We have great clinical services. We can get people to that, but our problem is we're not connecting to people. So we have all this awesome stuff, go see Rich, but nobody's coming to see Rich. Who can fix that? Where can we intervene? I believe it's on the peer support level. So that's where I've been focused for the last nine, 10 years. Just continuing the journey, man. You know, I, you know, I, I can tell you, I did not get into in, in as deep as you, Rich, but I had surgery 2015, 2016. And as I was leaving, the nurse said, hold on a second. Let me, let me just check something. She goes, she talks to the doctor, comes back and she said, okay. And, and my wife looked at her and goes, what, what's going on? Is there a problem? She goes, no, I just wanted to confirm the doctor's given you a hundred Oxycontin. Wow. A hundred. Like, wow. And that was when 2015, that's not even supposed to be happening. Yeah. Right. And so to kind of support what you just said, I mean, I never took one of them simply because I was afraid, but I, I mean, my wife and I joked, like, you know what the street value of this stuff is? Not, not, I mean, yeah, you, no, yeah. no clue, but to, to support that, like, Part of the problem is, is that, like you said, we don't want people to feel pain. So let's just drug them up. And yep. now, you know, we've got literally yep. walking zombies going around the place. Um, oh, my goodness. You know, so and I, that's exactly that's exactly Chris. It's my, that was my experience. And this was also at a period of time whenever nobody was really you know, the opioid, opioid epidemic was taken off, right? And so that was when everybody was buying into this idea of give everybody pills. There wasn't even any pushback. So it was even easier for me. What I'm about to say is 100% true. 
I only ever had one healthcare professional ever say anything to me in the two years of my of my odyssey, and that was a pharmacist. And that was only because she was friends. I was like really good friends with her husband. No doctor. I would run out early. I would just go to the doctor. Some and, and when I first went, I would make up lies like it was stolen out of my car or something. But then eventually he was like, how many times can pills get stolen out of your car, dude? You might want to move to a new neighborhood. And then I just started telling him I took... I would literally say I've been taking more than I was supposed to because I'm in more pain. See, that's the thing. When I start saying I'm in more pain, the person can't really argue with me because it's a subjective. You can't measure it. And that's what got us in a jam with the opioid epidemic. It's self-report and doctors don't know what to do with that. Yeah, that's a shame. Well, hopefully by having conversations like this, we'll reach somebody. And even if we just reach one person, that'll be a good step in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Chris, that's a great point because back then no one was talking about this in any kind of way. Like you didn't, even if you did have an idea that something might be wrong, I remember consciously thinking to myself, they don't make enough of these pills. I remember two, two experiences internally that went on with me. One was early on when I started taking these things and and, and the listeners need to understand this. Like, opioids don't hit everybody the same way. So some folks will take opioids and they'll hate the way they feel. It'll make them really, really tired. Uh, Sometimes people even throw up, but others of us, it's like, it's like a perfect fit. And I was one of those folks where it was a perfect fit. And when I first started taking them, I got up. I didn't get down. I got euphoric and more energy. My, My wife would be like, why are you running a vacuum? And it would be like, it was as if I had taken speed or something. It was hitting me different. And I remember saying to myself early on, I'm taking these for the rest of my life. Like literally thinking I had found the solution to every problem. Because not only does it take away physical pain, this is something that's very misunderstood. It takes away all psychological pain as well. Everything is okay when you first start these things. And then here is where it's just, to me, it's like a demon, man. It like lurking in the shadows. Cause then what happens about two weeks in, it comes out and the real reality of this starts to hit. You start to get the physical dependence. You create tolerance really quickly and it stops working the way it was working. And now all of a sudden you're getting sick when you're running out. And I I was just an average dude who worked in HR. I, I wasn't a therapist. I'm like, what is this? What's happening to me? And it created this just like cycle of stealing pills. And we wound up bankrupt because I had to, you know, I would buy them from different pharmacies and I had to pay out of pocket. And I don't know if you know, when you start paying for prescriptions out of pocket, you're really, it's actually more expensive than the street. So, you know, within two years, it totally devastated me. It was unbelievable. And and I tell you what, man, it's like, it, it is my personal mission to, to somehow, some way, get this world talking about this stuff before it gets to rich at that level. Do you know what I mean? Because once it got to me at that level, that was hard to bring me back in. I was so far down the road. I remember standing on on uh, Forbes Avenue. I was working at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center at the time. And I remember standing there and I was thinking to myself, like, what am I going to do? I, I had started to get to the point where I was running out of doctors. You know what I mean? And I could tell it was getting desperate. And I don't know if you've ever been, like, that's where the University of Pittsburgh is. These buses fly down, up and down these bus lanes. They have these bus lanes. And these. And I remember thinking, if I step out in front of one of these buses, something will be different. It wasn't like I wanted to kill myself in a conscious way, but I was thinking to myself, if I step out in front of it, I'm definitely, you know, either I'll be dead or I'll get something. And that type of thought, I had never had that before. Scared the crap out of me, man. But still... 
too ashamed to, to, to talk to anybody. Was that the moment when you said, okay, I got, I have to start talking to somebody? Like, was that the realization? It was probably you? one of the first times. It's a great question. It was probably one of the first times where I, where I had anything that resembled like I need to talk to somebody. So I'll tell you what I did. I set up an appointment with our EAP provider. And, and what I'm about to tell you is 100% true, too. So they had a great EAP program at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. So I go and see this EAP counselor, and all I wanted her to do was ask me about drugs and alcohol because I just felt like I wanted to pop. You want to know what we wound up talking about? I wound up coming out of there with a really good career plan and how I was going to apply to like get my master's degree in social work, too. Do you know what I mean? Like That's where we wound up going. And I remember sitting in my car and just being like, what the heck was that? And, 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 and I decided, Chris, I was just going to go on from there. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, this is I was too scared to say something. That's what it was. Too scared to say anything. I love how you say it's, it's now your mission to get people talking about it. And, and that was kind of my biggest takeaway whenever I heard you present was uh, you, you had a list of all the different myths, all the different yep. uh, myths. And the first one was concerning uh, suicide. You know, the first one was it's OK to talk about it. Absolutely. And, and I've had, you know, a high school buddy of mine committed suicide for uh, freshman year of college, uh, best friend tried, you know, other other yep. personal stories within me. And and for years, I've had like an internal struggle saying, just ignore it, you know, don't talk yep. about it. And it really clicked over the years. And the light bulb really went off yesterday. Or when it it, yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, we have overcomplicated what we need to do to try to help people. Uh, and I'm, I'm not I know that we need to get really good clinical services and we need to figure out what treatment works the best. And and people spend a lot of time debating that type of stuff and arguing with each other. And they argue about whether or not insurance companies should pay for it or not. And all of that is true, guys, but that's not really the root of the problem. The root of the problem is, is that the overwhelming majority of people will just never say anything. They will they will go on to the bitter ends. And if if somebody happens to intervene and somebody happens to get on track, like what happened to me, it's almost more happenstance than it is uh, an intentional yeah. process. Because you know, we don't as neighbors talk to each other about this stuff. And as coworkers, we don't talk to each other. Nobody brings you a casserole whenever you're diagnosed with, with depression or, you know, substance use disorder. It's we've made great progress on the stigma, but it's still it's still beating us. It's it's still there. Yeah. And it's still a that, stigma. You know, and it's amazing, too, as, as we've talked about this on the Building Pay podcast, we've talked about this a lot, and I know we're going to keep talking about it. It's amazing how I, I me personally, I, I'm talking to people, I'm calling clients, I'm calling friends, and just or, or texting them, how are you doing today? Are you doing okay? Yep. And, yep. And, and so, Rich, talk a little bit about that. Like, what, what can we do to help each other, you know, from your perspective and yeah. going through that process? So I, I think it's incredibly simple. And like the so the thing is to ask people, are you okay? And then but and then I always do it this way. Are you okay? And then I'll say, no, wait a minute. Are you really okay? I'm I'm not asking you that just because I want you to give me the standard. Tell me how you're really doing. And make and you have to do it in a in a way where it's genuine. You can't do it when you're passing in the hallway. You know what I mean? And yeah. and be like, hey, you okay? Oh, you're okay? Good, good. And then we walk on. Pick your pick your time. And and so that if the person does say, yeah, man, I'm having some, you have the time to talk to them about it. But otherwise, man, you can't get it wrong. This is also the other part of it. Nobody, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And by reaching out and saying like, are you okay with those text messages, Chris? You're making all the difference in the world. What's going to happen is also at some point in time, somebody's going to say to you, not really. 
and then you're going to be able to help. But nothing happens as long as we operate in silence. And, yeah. and that's the prevailing kind. Of, that's still the prevailing attitude. Although I will tell you, I do think we're making progress. I, I really am refreshed with the construction industry. This this you guys are pounding the drum on this without question. This will make a difference. It it it's it absolutely will make a difference. A long way to go, but I think we are. Yeah. Well, even just this podcast. And can you repeat that line again? No one cares how much you know until. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So I'll tell you a story about that that I think is hilarious. They did this study and what they were doing is they were taking like PhD students who were becoming psychologists. So they were seeing and they were measuring them on this on compassion and empathy was what they were measured on. And they measured them before they started their PhD program and after their PhD program. And what happened was their empathy and compassion went way down after their PhD program was completed. Because the the reason was they focused too much on what do I need to know and not enough on how, how much do I need to care. And that's where that's why like the companies that I'm part of and the philosophy that I'm part of is all about, we call it coaching. We don't call it therapy. Even when I'm working, and we're very intentional about that because we feel like this idea of therapy is for a very specific type of person who has a very specific issue, right? Clinically significant issue. But to talk to the mass of folks, you just need to be a person. And that's why we chose the term coach because we don't want to make it this like overwhelming ivory tower kind of feel. That makes sense, Rich. I really yep. like what you just said. Yeah, we have to show that we're human. That probably not stealing what John asked you to repeat earlier, but that I think is probably the most impactful thing that could be said on this podcast or anything. Being able and to it, do, you know, just to check in and do those things. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and well, and the other thing is, is what's also good about that, Chris, is that's something that all of us can do. We do not have to have a certain degree to do that. Yeah. That's the other myth that's out there. They created this situation where when it comes to something like suicidal ideation or even like uh, out of control substance use, we created this circumstance where we thought that only certain people could talk to people about this. You know, you would even hear people say it. It has to be a licensed professional. That's BS, man. It has to be a licensed professional if I'm actually doing like an assessment and a diagnosis. But any of us can get in on the conversation. That word needs to get out there too. There's a myth that only certain people are part of this solution. If if we approach it that way, we will never get ahead of it. It's all hands on deck, in my opinion. And in my opinion, in a, that all hands, all hands on deck. I think we kind of expedited or sped up the process a little bit with 2020 with the pandemic, especially in our industry. That seemed like the communication yep. really up and there was a, a lot of internal discussions amongst construction teams and job sites and yeah that was the one thing about the pandemic it did light a fire under some things you know what i mean a little bit for, for the better a little bit for the worse but right in this case i think it, i think it is definitely for the better i agree um, and, and and you know having the chance to start to talk about these issues that are, are and, and it's and and, it, and let's be honest you know this isn't even though the the building pa podcast is is for the construction industry and that's our focus this episode and what you've said so far rich goes any industry you know yes. come back to what you say you know, it's human yeah. thing and and having that opportunity to just simply ask how are you doing no really how are you doing dive into it a little bit more oh man this, I, I think this is fantastic and i think really what you're doing man i i, I can't support it enough it's just, yeah, it's and, just and it's, fantastic. And it's, 
And it's also like, and if you, and, and so the thing out there, if you are out there right now and you are listening to this, you, you also need to get in touch with this. It's, it's normal and it's okay to be not okay. This is the other part of the message. We society, you know, through the media and through just the way things we were told, we thought that there were some people that were crazy and some people that were sane and you don't want to be in the crazy bucket. Right. And so. But here's what I'm here to tell you. There's, this is a landmark study. 90% of Americans reported have reported that at some point in time in their life, they struggle with emotional, psychological, or substance use problems. Nine out of 10 of us yeah. have had some type of, and it's been at varying levels. Don't get me wrong. Not everybody's the same. But do you guys get my point with this? It's actually normal to go through this stuff. And so if you're out there in your car in your car and you're driving and you've been thinking about reaching out to the EAP but you don't want to be you're one of my people. You're us. You're a human being and you just need some expertise to help you through. That messaging needs to get out there too that it's not unusual to go through this stuff because I I don't know what it was like when you guys grew up but when I grew up, man, you didn't want to have anything to do with this. You know what I mean? Like that was it was like lep leprosy or something. Like run the yeah. other way. We got to get away from that too. We're all in this together man. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, Rich, I, I got to thank you. I, we're we're kind of coming toward our end here, but I, I think your energy and your passion that you bring to this, like I, I could talk to you for hours. So Yeah, I, you know, I, I could talk for that. hours too. Like, I, like yeah. I'm not good at a lot of things, but this is my area, man. This is my obsession. It's, and the reason is, I'll be honest with you, man, like it's just too heartbreaking. And I have kids and I have a daughter who went through this uh, she's in recovery 20 months now. If I was not invested in this before that, let me tell you where my head is now, man. I'm like, I feel like it, like in a certain way, we're at war. I really do. 107,000 folks died of a drug overdose last year. When I got in recovery, it was 9,000. I, I don't even know how you wrap your mind around that. The increase. And same could be said for suicide and the same could be said for the misuse of alcohol or any of these other issues. So, and, and thank goodness you guys have a podcast like this. We got to keep the conversation well, going. Absolutely. We will. We will. You know, Rich, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us today and, and talking about this extremely important topic. Um, one that's personal to everyone. Uh, so thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Rich. Cool. Thanks for having me guys. Thank you for joining the Building PA podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.